Hey, hope you guys had a great week this past week. Last Sunday we talked about work and then I don't know about you, for some, maybe you had a chance to uh, allow God to stretch you in the things that that he's been teaching you about work. And maybe for some it was a great week because it was a short week or maybe you didn't work at all. Or maybe it was just a fun time with the 4th of July and all that kind of stuff. I just want to do a quick disclaimer. Um, If if in talking to you guys after the fact, uh, you kind of look at this eye and you begin to ask the question like, did Kristen get kind of mad at Zach or did he get kind of rowdy? you know, on the 4th of July, because I've got like some, some bruising and blood vessels popped and all that kind of stuff. Nothing scandalous happened. Um, I lost a battle with a two and a half year old in the board book. That's like, you know, kind of what happened. And so it looks a lot worse than it is, but um, I don't want people, you know, I, you know, you know, how rumors get started and like, oh, the pastor had a black eye. What happened? It was my two and a half year old. So um, we just kind of leave it at that. But um, so, you know, life's interesting. I'm just like you. You got good weeks, you got bad weeks, you got stuff you're thinking about, stuff you're struggling with. And and, and what we want to do at River Club is we want to share how God's truth can apply and speak to no matter where you are, the, the practical side of life. And that's what this series is doing. We're looking at a series called Wisdom Works. And wisdom is knowledge put into practice. And what we're looking at throughout this series is really... You know, God's promise to us that we, that we see in Proverbs 2, 6 through 8. He says, all wisdom comes from the Lord, and so do common sense and understanding. God gives helpful advice to everyone who obeys and, helpful advice to everyone who obeys him and protects all those who live as they should. God sees that justice is done, and he watches over everyone who's faithful to him. And, and that promise is what, what we as followers of Jesus believe. That as we look for what works in life, because we all are looking for what works, whether it's, you know, which cable plan works, which um, self-help, you know, book works, whatever diet plan works, whatever parenting book works, you know, whatever restaurant's the best. We're always looking for what works because we don't want to waste our life, waste our energy on things that aren't going to lead us to to be more satisfied, to be happier, to have a a more fulfilled life. And so what we've been saying is, is that God's word is the ultimate source of wisdom. That, that God gives us everything we need if we'll listen to him and trust him so that we don't have to waste our time and energy trying to figure out life. That if we live according to God's word, according to his wisdom, then he will help us live life to the fullest. And that's what we all want at the end of the day. And so the question, though, and we're asking is, is, does this wisdom still work? You know, we talked earlier, you know, that we come from all different backgrounds and even places in faith. For some, you read that passage the idea of God's wisdom and you say, of course God's wisdom works. Of course it works for my life. Of course it applies and it's relevant. But for others, the legit question is, is okay, how does something written over 2,000 years ago by, by this man named Solomon, how does it really apply to my life in 2017? Does it really apply to my life? And, and what we're doing throughout this series is, is that we're wanting to show that God's wisdom does still work. But it only works if we're willing to take the challenge to listen to it, to learn from it, and then to live it out. And so last week we talked about wisdom in our work and how the the things that we do and how we do the work, whatever that work is for our life, actually makes a difference and can be a blessing to us if we do it and view it in the right way. Today we want to look at wisdom in our words, how what we say and how we say it can actually make life better or make life more difficult. 
Solomon, this, this, this really wise man that God gave incredible wisdom to, talks about words and talks about our speech multiple, multiple times in this book of Proverbs. And one of those is this. In Proverbs 13, 3, he says, Those who control their tongue will have a long life. Opening your mouth can ruin everything. Now, I don't know about you, but as I was thinking back in my life and thinking back at the things that I've said or the way I've said some things, there's been some times where when I opened my mouth, I made things worse and not better. There's some things that I've said, there's some things that I've said a certain way that I look back in my life and wish I could have said a different way. You know, just, we're, we're about being authentic and, and real. And so, you know, for me, I was thinking about this driving in this morning. One of the things that I said in my life that I regret to this day happened about 20, 30 years ago when I was about 10 years old. My, my daughter, my daughter, I didn't have a daughter when I was 10. My sister, right, you're like, forget the black eye. That's crazy. You know, uh, my, my sister had a, a friend over. And you know how it is when you're the older brother and your sister brings her friends over. You've got all this stuff. They're loud. They're obnoxious. And we were fighting and bickering about stuff. And, and, and I called her friend fat. Not like I said, oh, you're kind of a big girl. I said fat, right? And, and I, was, I was driving today. And I was, even this morning, I was thinking about that. Because, I mean, 30 years later, I still remember that and regret the words that came out of my mouth, especially when her mom came over to talk to me later, right? Because our words are powerful things. And our words can make life better for both us and others, and they can make life more difficult. And, and, and you know, what's interesting is, is that we use so many words. I was doing some research this week and, and found that most people speak about 16,000 words per day. Speak 16,000 words per day. Now, there was a study that came out about 10, 15 years ago that found that women speak 40% more words than men do. So they actually speak about 10,000 more words than, than men do. And so all the guys, whenever you would talk about that, go, oh, oh, yeah, this is more of a sermon for wives. I don't say a lot of stuff. But here's the reality. Subsequent studies have found that that's bogus. That men actually speak about the same number of words a day as women do. But it's not just speaking words. Now, we've got so many ways that we can talk to one another. Uh, I found this, that 18.7 billion text messages are sent in our world every single day. Around 269 billion emails are sent per day. That we can say things now without actually having to say them to somebody's face. We can communicate in ways that, that even 10, 15, 20 years ago weren't around. So we have so much opportunity when it comes to how we can use our words, but also so much opportunity to use those in a negative way. You know, it's kind of like this old illustration. I was a youth pastor growing up, so I don't know know how many times I used this, you know, back in the day. But you take a a tube of toothpaste, right? And you squeeze the toothpaste out. And then you you tell the student or you try to illustrate putting the toothpaste back in the the, the toothpaste. It's not a bottle. What is it called? A tube? There you go. Thanks. Words, right? You put it back in there. And the premise is, right, that, that you can't get the toothpaste back in and trying to makes a huge mess. And the illustration was is that words are powerful things. And once a word is said, you really can't take it back. So you need to be wise in not just what you say, but how you say it. Solomon writes it this way in Proverbs 21, 23. He says, you know, watching what you say can save you a lot of trouble. 
So Solomon at one point says, listen, that if you, if you guard your mouth, if you watch what you say, it brings blessing. If you open your mouth and you're reckless with your words, it, it actually brings hardship and brings difficulty. So what's the solution? Well, Solomon says the solution is to watch what you say. And that's the bottom line. If you're taking notes, write this down. Kind of the big idea for today is, is this. As we talk about wisdom and how we find wisdom. That wisdom is found in learning to watch what we say. That wisdom is found. Benefit, blessing in life is found when you and I learn to watch what we say. When we, when we take notice of the words that we say and how we go about saying those words. At another point, Solomon says this in Proverbs 18, 20 and 21 about really what words can do. It says, words satisfy the mind as much as fruit does the stomach. Good talk is as gratifying as a good harvest. Words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit you choose. And so Solomon says what we know, that words either build up and bring life and bring blessing, or words can destroy, they can tear down, and they can bring difficulty. But what he says in this passage, which is so key, is he ends it with the words, you choose. You see, the danger is when we talk about our words and we talk about what we say, if you're like me, here's what we're tempted to do. We're tempted to blame other people for how we respond and how we talk. And here's what I mean by that. Like if, you know, if if somebody's rude to me, well, then of course I was rude back to them, but it wasn't my fault. It was their fault. If somebody cuts me off in traffic and I start yelling at them in my car, even though they can or can't hear me, it's not my fault. I'm just responding to the fact that they were rude. See, if we're not careful in life, we never take responsibility for what we do. We always find blame in other people. So the reason why my spouse and I don't get along is because they don't know what to say or how to say it. Instead of saying, listen, Solomon says the choice is yours. That nobody controls what you say and how you say it except for you. So the idea as we talk about this that we need to put aside is, is that as we talk about God's wisdom and what we say and how we say it, we've got to bring it back to personal responsibility. Because we're going to encounter people that are going to make us feel like saying something not wise. But in that point, we can't blame them. We've got to come back to the one person we can control and that's us. So what I want to do this morning is is I want to share with you words that I I believe we need to make sure are a part of our conversation because they're the type of words that build up. They're the type of words that speak life. They're the ones that we choose to say that will bring bring a blessing to our life and to the lives of others and not be that poison or that that poisonous outcome that Solomon talks about here. And as I was studying this week, I, I came across an, a book that, I, that I've read a long time ago. And I think it's one of my favorite books about relationships and about marriage. And, and not just those, but any relationship. It's a book called The Five Love Languages by a guy named Gary Chapman. So The Five Love Languages is a book that he wrote a while back. And, and he's got different ones. So this one's specifically formulated for husband and wives. Um, he has some like the five love languages of children, the five love languages of teenagers, the five love languages of employees, the five love languages of cats. Like, I don't, he's got like one for, he didn't have the cat one because they don't know what love is. But anyway, um, 
Like, he has one for everything. But, but in this one, and the premise is kind of the same. And it's that, that how we feel and how we communicate love is different. That we're all kind of unique in this. And he says there's really kind of five ways. And so listen, this is kind of a side note. This is for free. If you like in, in your relationship, if you're in your marriage, if you're, you know, as a parent or, or a coworker, if you're struggling, I want to encourage you to get this book. Especially if you're struggling with feeling like, man, I, 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 I love this person. I'm trying to tell them I love them. I'm trying to do things for them. But it just seems like we're just not communicating well. I want you to pick this book up because I think it'll practically help you really understand, right? But, but what I want to do this morning is, is I want to use some of the stuff he teaches about the words that we say. Because one of the love languages is words of affirmation. That some people feel love and express love most naturally in the words that they say. But while some people, that's their primary language, I believe everybody needs to learn from that. Because there's certain principles and certain things that reveal to us that the the words that we say and the types of words that we say and how we say them can actually make a difference in how we live our life and what really works. And and so he he talks about five different types of words. And I want to talk about those really quickly that, that I believe we need to learn to use in order to speak life and to bring positivity and fruit and blessing into our life in the lives of other people. So if you're taking notes, write these down. First one is this, is um, affirming words. So uh, affirming words. He talks about that we need to use words that, that identify things about another person and, and that encourages that, that affirms that about them. Look what uh, the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 12.10. He says, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. So Paul says one of the things we're supposed to do is we're supposed to honor each other. We're supposed to affirm is another way we honor. We're supposed to affirm each other. Now, what we do when we affirm each other is, is basically we compliment. We, we find something about the other person and we affirm that. We, we, we point positivity toward that. We, we point that out as something that we like, something that we, we, we are grateful for, something that we, we admire. And it's basically, it's a compliment. Now that may be, you know, for, for me, going to my wife, Kristen, and saying, man, I really love that dress on you. You know, maybe as a parent, us saying to our, our, our son or daughter, hey, you know, man, you did a really great job in that sports game. Or, you man, I saw how you were just very encouraging in that. Or maybe a coworker at work did a great presentation, and you go and say, man, that was an incredible presentation. Or, um, you know, or maybe just, you know, hey, you're so kind to another person. But, but we need to find words that affirm others, that identify things about them and encourages that. Now, the challenge with learning to affirm other people is that we have to learn to value things about other people, specifically things that might be different than we are. Here's what I mean by that. For me, it's easy to affirm in others what I like about them because they're like me, right? So they do something that I like, so I want to affirm them. But I want to talk about the things that are natural, right? But what about things that they do that maybe I'm not naturally kind of prone to doing that, but it's actually a good thing. 
What if there's some things that they're into, that they like, that they have passion about, that you, as you're sitting back, you know, privately you're going, I don't get why they're into that, but you know, it's a good thing. See, affirming people means we have to learn to value the diversity of the people that God created. We have to learn value in, in people that are different than us, that do things differently than us. Because the reality is, is that while we may in one hand wish everybody were like us, we also know that if everybody were like us, we wouldn't like them either because there are things we don't like about ourselves, right? And so part of that's learning the value of diversity. Here's what Paul writes in Romans 15, 7. He says, therefore, accept each other just as Christ accepted you so that God will be given glory. That, that part of loving and affirming is learning to accept the differences and the good things about people, even though they're maybe not our things. Mark Twain has a famous quote where he, he said once, he said, I can live for two months on a good compliment. And what he was sharing was the value of affirming. Of somebody saying, hey, I like this about you. Hey, I respect this about you. And we need differences in each other because if everybody were just like us, then all of the weaknesses that we have would be magnified. And all of our strengths would simply be limited. See, we need that. So we need to learn to speak affirming words, finding things about other people that we can affirm, that we can celebrate, that we can cheer on. Second thing he talks about in the book is this, is not just affirming words, but we need to, we need to understand words of appreciation. We need to share appreciating words. And, and, and primarily, appreciating words have a lot to do with the two words, thank you. So they're, they're words that say to other people that, that we're grateful for who they are. We're grateful for what they've done. You know, people will replicate the things that we celebrate. Like people will, will replicate what we celebrate. So they'll do the things that we thank them for doing. Now, we don't want to use that as manipulation, but like if our kids are doing something and we want to see that continue in them, instead of just getting on to them when we're, they're doing the wrong things, we need to show gratitude and appreciation and encourage them whenever they're doing the right things. In, in Proverbs sixteen twenty four, Solomon writes, gracious words are a honeycomb sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. When, when somebody is gracious, when they share gratitude, they express appreciation to you, it makes you feel good, doesn't it? You know, my, my wife is incredible at this. So my wife is one of those people who writes handwritten thank you notes. And I try to do the same thing for, if somebody does something for me, you know, the response is, is, hey, I want to identify that and I want to write them a thank you note. Not just say thank you, but I want to write a thank you note. And so many of you know she broke her leg a couple months ago. And so, you know, people came and they, they brought food and they helped out and all this kind of stuff. And every person that, 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 that served us and did something for us, my wife sent a thank you note to. And now my wife sends thank you notes that, that I've heard back from people that, that make people want to write a thank you note for her thank you note. Right? Well, why? Because when somebody is gracious and shares gratitude with us, it makes us feel good. So we need to be people that share gratitude, that share appreciating words. The third kind he talks about are encouraging words. Encouraging is this idea to, to inspire courage. And so when we're encouraging to somebody, what we're doing is we're trying to boost their own personal courage, their confidence. And typically what happens is, is that we want to speak into areas where maybe somebody feels insecure 
but they have gifting, they have benefit, they have skill, and we want to encourage them to allow God to use that in a greater and a bigger way. You know, when, when I first felt like God was calling me to, to serve in the local church and, and be a pastor of some kind, it was back in, in, in college, and as I began that journey, there were, there were so many things that, that, that I, I knew about myself that I didn't feel confident in, that I felt insecure about, that, that almost kept me from doing what God is calling me to do. I didn't feel like I was going to be good at certain things. I didn't feel like I was going to be able to do you know, this or be able to do that because it was just not easy for me and I was insecure about it. And I can't tell you the number of people that, that came around my life and encouraged me to do the things that they identified in me that maybe I didn't fully see. And see, that's what encouraging does. Encouraging helps us see in us what maybe we have a difficulty seeing. It helps identify gifting and, and skill and ability and the, the positive things about somebody else that maybe they lack the courage to actually step fully into. You know, who do you know that needs that encouragement? You know, who do you know that you look at them and you say, man, there's so much potential there. There's so much ability there. Like, why don't they, why don't they just do that? Why don't they take that dream and that passion and step into it? Well, a lot of times it's because those areas of gifting are also the areas where there's insecurity and there's a lack of confidence. So we need to encourage people. Paul says it this way in Ephesians 4.29. He says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. We need to be encouraging people. In, in the Five Love Languages book, there's, there's a quote that, that Gary Chapman says, and um, he directs it specifically toward a spouse, but you can direct it really to anybody in your life. And here's what he says. He says, the latent potential within your spouse or your son, your daughter, your coworker, your, your friend, well, insert whoever you're, you're focusing on there. The latent potential within that person in his or her areas of insecurity may await your encouraging words. Here's what he's saying is that the thing that they do best may be the thing that they'll never do unless you encourage them to do it. That the latent, which means the unused potential, the skill, the gifting, the ability, how God is challenging them, how God wants to use them, that the one thing that they may be waiting for that's holding them back is they're waiting on you to encourage them. See, we need to be people that are affirming, that are appreciative, and who are encouraging. The fourth one he talks about are, are, are kind words. That we need to be people that not only share, you know, words, but we need to share them in such a way where there's, there's a kindness to who we are and, and how we say what we say. Proverbs twelve twenty five says this, anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. So it's not just what we say, sometimes it's how we say it. You can take the same sentence and how you say it can change the meaning. And the book uses the example of, of the, the, word, the words, I love you. And he says, if you say, I love you to somebody, it has a certain connotation. But if you add a question mark and say, I love you, totally changes everything. And the point he's trying to make is that, that sometimes how we say what we say is just as important as, as what we say. And that we need to be people who are, who are known for kindness. 
And I think the big challenge with this is, is that things like texting and email and, and Facebook and Instagram and all this you know, social media, while it has so much potential for good, it also allows us to maybe say things that we would never say to somebody's face. To respond in a way that we would actually never say and respond that way face to face. Where we can, you know, shoot off a text message. We can shoot off an email. We can post an unkind thing. And we never have to look that person in the eyes and actually say that to them. And see, I think sometimes that's why there are certain conversations that they, they don't need to be had over email. They don't need to be said over texting. They don't need to be posted online. They need to be said face to face because sometimes the body language and the inflection and and how that person communicates that changes how it's received. Now, I know some of you are like, but but I put a happy face at the end of it, right? I mean, that's what emojis are for, right? You know, you're an idiot, happy face. You know what I mean? Like, you know, they know I was joking around, right? Well, maybe. But if you're looking at somebody face to face, it's different. So it's, it's a good thing, but I think there's some wisdom to understanding that, that sometimes conversations still need to be face-to-face conversations, especially the difficult ones. And while it's easier to respond to a screen than to somebody's face, it's not always good. Especially when we need to show some kindness to people. Now, does kindness mean that we, we have to be like a doormat and we never have a backbone and we never are stern with anybody? We're never forceful to you know, say this is the right thing? No, no, no. There are times when we need to respond in those ways. But there's a lot of things that we need to be people who are known for just kindness. It's kind of this lost value to a lot of us. But it's one of the things that, as Paul writes, he says that will be the natural results of a person who's filled with the love of God. In Galatians 5.22, he says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, stillness, and self-control. He says, if you are filled with God's love, if you're pursuing God, you should be known as a person who has kindness. That there's this gentleness, there's this goodness, they all kind of wrap together. So we need to be people that aren't always harsh or abrupt or or short in how we communicate we need to share kind words and last we talked about are are humble words that we need to be people that 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 appreciate that affirm that encourage people who are kind but we also need to be people who are humble in how we talk and how we communicate now there, there are times where we we like i said earlier we you know we need to to tell people something you know, as parents of, of young kids, we don't always you know, need to ask their permission when we need them to do something. You know, if my kid's running toward a, a busy street, I don't go, hey, would you please stop? I'm like, stop, right? Because the loving thing to do is to actually assert. But sometimes we assert when we need to request. Sometimes we're demanding when we need to, to ask. Sometimes we're demeaning when we need to actually be affirming. And there's certain relationships where we talk to people in such a way where if anybody's listening and that other person basically feels this reality that you believe you're more important than they are and you believe that you're better than they are. But Paul says this in Colossians 4, 6. He says, let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you'll have the right response for everyone. That, that people should want to talk to us, that our conversations should be gracious and attractive. 
that even though we have to get honest, even though sometimes we have to have difficult conversations, that, that we need to always make sure how we're saying what we're saying is being said with the other person in mind. And I think the biggest way that, that, that I see that we struggle with this, and I'll say we because I, I see myself doing this sometimes too, is we'll, we'll talk a certain way to people who, who are there serving us. So here's what I mean by that. I went to the eye doctor the other day because I got hit with a board book and I wanted to check it out. And I was, I thought it was very manly, I know. And, and I, was, I was sitting there and a lady walked in and she began to, to talk and ask the, the receptionist some questions. And, and how she asked the, the questions was in a very demeaning, a very, you know, speaking down to this person type of way. And as I was kind of sitting back, I was just like, man, I guarantee you this, like, this, this young girl who's, you know, working in this, this front desk job, you know, number one, probably doesn't know the answers and the details this lady is trying to get about her insurance and all this kind of stuff and, and, and really doesn't deserve to, to be treated like an idiot, but that's how this lady feels. I said, she may not, if I asked her the question, like, ma'am, do you feel like you're more important than she is? She might not say, oh, of course I do. But how she's speaking, it, it relays that. You know, I also see it a lot in, like, restaurants. Because here's the thing about a restaurant is, like, you get in a, in a busy restaurant, and, like, we believe that nobody else can hear our conversations, but you're, like, five feet from everybody else, right? It, it's kind of like, um, I'm going to, like, totally show my age, but you remember that, 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 uh, that series back in the day, Get Smart, right? It was a series before it was a bad movie, you know what I'm talking about? And they had like the cone of silence and this thing like would come down and you couldn't hear anyway. But like sometimes we kind of feel like, like even though we're like three feet apart, like nobody can hear our conversation and they can't hear how we're talking to the waiter or the waitress. Like I, I've, I've, I've been sitting there and I'll be honest with you, I've gotten frustrated too. And we, we, we talk to people like they're beneath us. Like that person who's working less, you know, job for less than minimum wage, relying on tips, woke up this morning and said, I'm going to forget that person's mayo. I'm going to spill some water on their table. You know, I'm going to make sure that their steak was medium instead of medium well. Right? And we're like talking to them and we're treating them like they're a complete idiot whose only job in life is to do everything we want. But is that humble? No. But the, the problem is that sometimes that, that doesn't just result in those situations. We see it kind of playing out in the places we're most comfortable. In our marriages, in our relationships, in our families. But see, humility is, is an important thing, especially when tensions are high. Look what Solomon says. He says, Proverbs 15, 1, A gentle answer will turn, or will calm a person's anger, but an unkind answer will cause more anger. So sometimes part of it is we've got to kind of back away in tense situations to think, hey, what can I say that's actually going to not make me the most important person in the conversation? That's what humility is. So we need to be people, if we want to speak life, who, who learn to affirm, to appreciate, to speak in kindness, to encourage, to, to be humble. But, but here's the challenge. The challenge is that we all, we all leave right here and we're kind of like, oh yeah, we need, to, we need to be people like that. And then we get in the car and as soon as something happens, we forget all about it and we go back to doing what we were doing. So, so how do we actually begin to live this out? Well, I, I think Solomon shares and the Bible shares a couple quick things. The first one is this 
is that if we're going to be people that learn to speak life and to speak words that build up, if we're going to be different than maybe the culture around us in how we communicate, we've got to come back to the reality that we're going to need God's help to do this. See, God tells us to do things that don't come naturally to us because we're broken and sinful people. What we forget is, is that in Christ, we've been made new. And now we actually are the people who have the power to do, because of Jesus, the things God's calling us to do. And so we've got to remind ourselves of the power that we have in Jesus to live out the things he's calling us to do. Psalm 141.3 is a great prayer. If you struggle with what you say and not having a filter and, um, you know, as, as, as one person said earlier, if you don't, you know, you don't load your mind before you shoot off your mouth. Like if that's kind of the, you know, the, the, the type of person you are, here's a prayer for you. It says, take control of what I say, O Lord, and guard my lips. It's the acknowledgement, God, I need you to help me watch what comes out of my mouth. Because I'm going to have a tendency to say things that are not going to be beneficial or not going to be uplifting. So God, be my filter. Second thing, and this is probably the most important, is we need to recognize where our speech and our words come from. Look what Jesus says in Luke 6, 45. He says, good people bring out things from the good they stored in their hearts. But evil people bring evil things out of the evil they stored in their hearts. People speak the things that are in their hearts. Listen, if, if we have a speaking problem, we have a heart problem. See, we can focus just on what comes out of our mouth. But if what comes out of our mouth is not right, it's because our heart's not right. Because Jesus says that what comes out of our mouth begins in our heart. So if, if we have a problem and we struggle to speak affirming and appreciative words, it could be that we honestly don't love and value and appreciate people, especially those who are different than us. If we don't take time to encourage, it could be because, honestly, we're too focused on ourselves to spend the time it takes to do it. If we're not humble in our speech to other people, it could be because, genuinely, we think we're the most important person in our world. If we're not kind, it could be because we lack the power of God and the, the spirit of God and the fullness of God in our heart. And so if we only focused on our words, we would never address the bigger issue. It's not a speaking problem. A lot of times it's a heart problem. And so we need to remember that we need God's help. And that we need to focus on our heart. And we need to remember that words matter. In the 16,000 or so words that you're going to say today, or you're going to text today, or you're going to email today. That seven-word sentence, that three-word response, it matters. It can build people up, it can bring life, or it can tear people down and bring trouble. Because our words matter. They're important. So here's, the, here's what I want to leave, leave us with today, the takeaway. It's two questions. One, what do you need to start saying? What do you need to start saying? If affirming words, appreciating words, encouraging words, kind words, and humble words are the words that will bring life and, and speak life into people and make our lives better and more fulfilled, what do you need to start saying? You need to become more encouraging. 
You need to become more kind. Show some humility in what you say and how you say it. You need to be more appreciative, more affirming to others. What do you need to start saying? But the flip side is this, is what do you need to stop saying? What is the unkind thing you keep saying to people that's just not good? It's not beneficial. What's the lack of humility in your life and who you express that to? So what do we need to start saying? What do we need to stop saying? And here's probably even the third part of this is, it's who do we need to start or stop saying it to? You know, who's that person that you need to affirm? You need to encourage. You need to be more kind to. That maybe you need to apologize to because you've recognized this morning that, that your words have not been making things better. They've actually been making things more difficult. And are you willing to allow God to do something about that? Here's what I want to do as we conclude this time. In your worship guide, there's a, a blank note card. It looks like this. Why don't you pull that out? Because here's the reality. Is what we intend to do on Sunday mornings dies after Sunday afternoon. Just the way it goes. You leave this place. You go home. You go to eat. You take a nap. You do whatever you're going to do. The great intention that you had whenever you left this place of having that conversation, most of the time will not happen. We get busy, we start to second guess, we get afraid, we, get, we kind of start putting stuff off. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. We're going to sing a song here in a minute and we're going to come back around this idea that we need God's help and we need faith and trust to be able to live out his truth. But Part of it is, is that for some of us, we need to actually practice what God's telling us right now. And so maybe you need to take this card and you need to write a note to somebody. You need to affirm them, to encourage them. You need to thank them. Say something kind to them. Or maybe apologize because you've recognized you've not been doing that. So you're like, well, I, I, don't, I don't have a, their mailing address. Pull your phone out. This great technology called texting. You do it during the sermon anyway, I see you. <laughs> Pull your phone out. Send that text. Thank that person. Encourage that person. Maybe you're like, Zach, but you know, I, I really need to have that conversation, you know, not through texting. Okay, well, we've got a lobby, air conditioned. We've got decent cell phone reception. Go out there. Make the phone call. Don't leave without doing what God is calling you to do. Or maybe you need to spend time with God saying, God, I feel like I'm, I need to be doing better at this. So where do I need to focus? So here's what I want to do. I'm, I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to take a couple minutes of awkwardness. We're not going to sing yet. We're just going to sit. Maybe you need to write. You need to text. Get up and call. Go over and find somebody across the room and say, hey, can we go have a conversation real quick? I want to encourage you. Don't miss out if God's calling you to respond. Let's pray. God, we give this time to you to respond, God, not one day, but now. Give us the courage, God, to do what you're calling us to do as we respond to what you've shown us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's just take a few minutes to sit and respond.
we ask, God, that you would give us the faith that we need to trust you. God, even in our words to recognize there's wisdom in watching what we say and learning to speak words that bring life and that build up and learning to say we're sorry when we step out of bounds with the things that we say or how we say them. And God, to allow our speech to be a reflection of our love for you and our love for others. So God, as we move into this time of, of worship again, we God know that some will, are going to stand and sing and that's their response. Others may still need to write that letter, send that text, have that conversation. So God, we just ask that you would give us freedom in this place to do what you are calling us to do as we learn to trust you more and more. In Jesus' name, amen.